0: Welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the inner workings of the creative process. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. My guest this week is actor Colin Spall, who began acting as a child and is still going strong. His early appearances include the role of Pip in the BBC's Great Expectations and Peter in Heidi. And since then, he's been in everything from Coronation Street to Doctor Who. Colin talks with me about acting school, why he prefers theater to television, his experience on the murder game, which had no script, and what it's like to encounter the Cybermen close up on Doctor Who, and a lot more. Here's my conversation with Colin Spall. Colin Spall, thank you so much for joining me on Follow Your Curiosity today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to it as well. I'm glad we're going to to it.
0: Thank you. That's great. So... I have just finished reading your book, Colin Who, but not everyone has. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you the same question that I ask everyone, which is, were you always a creative kid or did you land in the creative area later on in life?
1: What you mean by, by decide to become an actor? Is that, is that what you're
0: saying? Or otherwise creative. Uh, I don't know. Uh,
1: maybe I was. I it doesn't um, stand out to me that I was anything. I didn't paint things or design anything. That um, I just had some sort of an affinity to um, for the ability to learn language, not languages, but uh, lines and things like that. But uh, no, and and if, if if that refers to also the book, mm-hmm. um, but no, not really. I just I decided to do it ages ago. But I think I, this sounds very silly. When I was about 17 or 18, and I I was beginning to make a bit of a name for myself as as an actor in in England, and I thought, I should write an autobiography. And I thought, no, you silly devil, you can't write an autobiography. You're only 17, for God's sake. (laughs) Um, So I left it until about three years ago.
0: Well, we'll get back to that. Yeah, okay. So someone obviously decided that you needed to go off to drama school because you went off when you were quite young
1: Mm. well it was it was a, a teacher i always remember his name his name was mr probert and and mr probert must have said something to my parents on the lines of oh um, Collins quite uh, expressive in his reading, Um he he's showing an affinity for uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure what, but and, but um, obviously something, and um, it was suggested that that it, it might help if I went to a drama school, took drama lessons, which which is the way it happened, and um, and my parents then enrolled me in what was then the most famous uh, drama school in in, in London, which uh, was called the Italia Conti. State school and um it was one of the first and um, still one of the very best of, of drama schools and i was enrolled and i used to go on a saturday morning for two hours for drama lessons um and um yeah that that went on for about six or eight months and they were also uh, as being a drama school they were also an agency for for young actors Be, they, they looked after the young actors that they were. That were being taught, and anyway, so I, 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 I duly went and um, started learning uh, Shakespeare, which I'd never really had much to do with um, in my earlier young life. I was about eleven, when I went, and um, and then they suggested that it might be more beneficial if I would were to become a full time student and therefore go for education as well as drama. Uh, uh, lessons, and and that's how it happened. I became a full time student after about six months, and um, then I started getting the little odd jobs on the telly when they are looking for kids uh, playing in the street or that sort of stuff, and it progressed from there.
0: What did you think about it? I mean, did did your parents just decide that you were going to go do this, or did they have a conversation with you and ask you, hey, what do you think?
1: Oh yes, oh absolutely they did. Yes, oh yeah. I mean, they didn't just turn around to me one day said, Oi you're going to go to an acting school, mate. That's it. Off you go. Um, that didn't happen. Um, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, great. Um, and um, so I loved it. Uh, every Saturday morning for two hours, I loved it. And even loved it even more when I became a full-time student. When I left ordinary school. I was only educated in the mornings. And the rest of the time was just brilliant. We were doing drama, stage, dance, direction, singing, voice control. It was, it was just another world. I loved it.
0: That sounds fantastic. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, as a kid, I would have absolutely eaten that up with a spoon. Yeah. 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 So so yeah, as you said, they had an agency and they started getting yeah. you roles and, and the early ones were more along the lines of Shakespeare.
1: No, not oh, well, really. They- no. I no. Um Shakespeare didn't come into my life I mean we studied it at drama school we 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 had to learn all these soliloquies which I still remember to this day <laughs> um and um no it, it was my first I think my first major role the BBC uh, in their wisdom decided that they were going to do a serialization of Dickens' Great Expectations and so my agent said to me um uh, the bbc wanted to see you so i do re- went along with about 300,000 other lads of my <laughs> age and, and um read for the part of pip um in in this um in dickens's uh, great expectations and uh, fortuitously it worked out that i got the part and um so there was i um playing the lead in a in a, a tennis series um, it was a 13 part series but of course as pip was a boy which which was what which was what i was gonna play um we did about four episodes, and then someone else took over pip as, as as the young man um so that was my big break and and from then on um i started getting um I did a, a, a lovely series um, uh, called Heidi. I don't know if you know Heidi, which mm-hmm. is the uh, yeah uh, about the, the the Swiss girl and lived with her granddad in the mountains in, in the Alps. Um, the BBC, in its wisdom, unfortunately, didn't take us to the Alps location. We went to a local zoo, and um, yeah, so I I played Peter the goat herder in, in Heidi, which was another smashing character, and then. These were all sort of Sunday afternoon serials, which the BBC were very good at making. And then shortly after that, the BBC once again decided that they would like me to do a series called The Secret Garden. And um, this, I played then, played Dickon, the boy with all the animals, in Yorkshire that with all the animals. And so it went on from there. And then eventually um, I got, got some theatre work. I, I did a play at the, the Theatre Royal Windsor, um, my first stage appearance um in a play and it, it was called uh, uh it's gone just right out of my mind um um no i can't think of it it'll come back to me but uh, i did that and then um they, that that uh, moved on to other things and then um i was eventually asked to join the the 1957 old vic company at the old vic and i played all the boy parts in shakespeare for that season that's where my shakespeare
0: came in So how did you, how did you like the Shakespeare versus everything else? Were you at an age where it was, I have absolutely no idea what's going on, but I'll say these words the way you tell me to, or was it more than that? I
1: I suspect if I'm honest, yes, you're probably that, you know, hitting the right note on that. Um, and it was only the latter years. I thought to myself, Oh my God, you know, you were working with such unbelievably amazing people, which, which, with the stagecraft, and I learned so much, so much for after a year there, um, and then I went into the West End several times, playing major roles in, in the West End, and um, um, but it, it was a great help. And I should, I, I really felt that I should have paid more attention to those lovely people and, and the skill. Uh, I, I did pay a lot of attention, obviously, because I obviously carried off the parts in in um, the way that was necessary, and uh, but it was great. Yeah, I should have should have listened more and been more aware of the fact that how lucky i was to be in that i'm I'm a south london boy i'm not uh, born on the not in the sound of bow bells but in uh, i am a a cockney i suppose in a way but i i lost my accent at, at drama school and um but uh i still come back to it now and again i quite often play you know the boys who talk like that all the time, you know one of them you know lads, you know, and I still do it now and again, but uh, but I've lost it nicely, but uh, no, I talk posh as my grandchild children used to tell me <laughs> <laughs>
0: did the losing the accent like that affect i mean did did it i i would think if if I were a parent and my child suddenly started talking very differently it it would be a little unsettling at the very least. I mean how how did that affect other people around you outside the school?
1: I don't know really because by that time I'd moved into uh, my drama school were all the, the people were all quite well spoken there. Um and then the people I began to mix with were also well spoken. I mean I didn't, I didn't I didn't go overnight I didn't suddenly go tall like that and it's become terribly terribly proper. Um, <laughs> No, uh, that, that didn't happen, but it, it gradually, gradually did. And this is the way I speak now. I mean, maybe it'd probably take about 60 years, I especially, to lose <laughs> my accent. Oh, <laughs>
0: well, then maybe it was gradual enough that they didn't really notice it I think as so. much. I think so. Yeah, yeah. That's just interesting because accents are such a big part of our identity. Oh, they, they are, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, the Americans still say, oh, I love your accent, you know, which is, um, and I say, well, I love yours. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it works both ways. It works both ways.
0: Yeah. Wow. So you you managed to do lots of TV yeah. as a kid, and yeah. then Shakespeare, which yeah. had to also have been a bit of culture shock, I would think. After yeah. things like like Heidi, though Dickens, not quite as much. Um, and then, and then I I feel like I have to tell you, I, I sat down last night and I was looking at your IMDB page while I was on the phone with a friend of mine. And I said, he's been in absolutely everything. <laughs> <laughs> and while it's not absolutely everything reading through, it certainly feels like absolutely everything. I mean, so many things that I know are classic British shows yeah. like Z Cars and Dixon of Doc Green yeah. and all of yeah. the all of the soaps that even we've heard of over here even though we've never seen them like Coronation yeah. Street and Holby City. I mean it's such a a huge range. Yeah. So I don't know. I there's there's so much to talk about in all of that. But there is. how how did the transition between doing child acting and then hmm growing up because you know you hear so much about child actors who are so famous and do so well and then something happens and it's usually they can't adapt or it doesn't it doesn't go yeah. do as well for whatever reason how was that for you
1: well you could probably guess that you're not the first person that's ever asked me that <laughs> that, that transition question right and um but it it, it was fine it was seamless um, because. I started as as an eleven year old boy playing youngsters, and but every part I got was in line with my age. It it mm. it, it, it it didn't. It, it, I didn't. Um, can I say I, I didn't do great expectations as as a thirteen year old, and suddenly be offered the, the lead in Z Cars, were, you know and who and, and playing a twenty nine year old. You know, it was a gradual. The parts went were, were, were within my age limit, so that was very lucky. And I continued working all the time.
0: Well, that does make sense. That that would make it yeah. easier. Yeah. So you're growing yeah. with the with the roles with, with, and the process. The and yeah, 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 yeah. That is very lucky.
1: <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Very lucky. <laughs>
0: how how much of of your career do you attribute to luck versus timing versus talent versus i mean i don't know if it's even possible to break it down that way but
1: i i, I don't think it is I, I i don't think i could say oh yes i'm so i'm absolutely so brilliantly talented that just work just falls into my lap i'm so <laughs> brilliant it's not that it's uh, lucky enough to have made a name for myself that name just just push you along i and you you become well known not Publicly, not walking down the street. Oh, look, there's Colin's Paul. But casting directors, they say, "Oh, we're doing a new film, and uh, we're looking for a." John like, says, "Oh, Colin's Paul. Oh, yeah, of course. But well, I know Colin, but I'll get him into free for the pub. So that was what it was. Being known within my business uh, it, 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 it is, and being able to always come up with the, with the goods, always on time, knowing my lines. I mean, you know, all that. Uh, you know, people say to me. I get youngsters come up. Oh, I, I want to be an actor. You know, any any um, any any suggestions? Any any advice? And I say, well, uh, if you really believe in yourself, then things will happen. But it is a very very tough business. And um, but um, all I can say is that to, to just learn the lines and don't bump into the furniture, <laughs> which is the um, the old adage that uh, once I think was quoted by. Uh, Oh, I can't think Some someone. Noel Coward, it was Noel Coward that said that. So.
0: Well, and it's interesting your, your comment, Dab, uh, if you really believe in yourself.
1: Yes, because you get kicked in the teeth so many times. You get your agent said, go and read for this lovely part. He's playing Fred Blogs in so and so and so. you think, oh, that's absolutely, that's me. I, I can do that standing in my head. Fantastic. You go along, you don't get it. And then you see it on the television, someone else has got it, you think, oh. Could have done that. Why didn't they use me? But that's the way. It's, it's the casting director. Um, they probably thought, oh, "Yeah, yeah, we uh, we like but We like this bloke better." It's as simple as that.
0: Do you think that getting used to that kind of rejection is useful in the long term?
1: It is, but it yes, it it, it happens that way. You you get used to it. it you, you you know you don't go. Walking into the into the theater, into the studio and uh, to read first things and oh, I'm walking in say I've got this, not oh, a problem at all. You're always fighting. You're always hungry to get that job. Um, but as I say, if you if you don't get it and you really want to do something like in the business, and you want to be in the business, then ride with it, go with the flow. You yeah, okay? Oh, my agent will get me another interview. It, it's one of those things. It's it's a part of being an actor.
0: I would think that at some point you have to become sort of zen about it. Like that wasn't meant to be mine, but something else will
1: be. I suppose you do. Yes. You, you, yeah. I suppose certain things have happened like that, and and you've done you've gone for something, haven't got it, and then something else turned up. I think. Oh my God! Thank God I didn't get that part. I went for last week. This part that I've just got this week is a damn sight better.
0: So sometimes it just works out the way it's meant. Yeah. To, I guess.
1: Oh, absolutely. Or other times you 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 do nothing and. Uh, I don't know. Go to the pub every day for six weeks. Here, I don't know. Just by six.
0: Well, you do talk in the book about how you've oh, taken advantage of those times by going out and getting other jobs that have eventually given you skills oh, yeah. that you ended up using.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. I've done a couple of things. I worked on a building site that um, drove a, a huge lorry. Um, for, for a, a scene, scenery, scenery moving company for a few weeks. And then um, I was getting bored with it. And suddenly my agent said, oh, they want to see you for Stern. So You've already oh, you checked the job intern. I'm sorry, I'm not coming in tomorrow. I've got a job. So that was it. Yeah, great.
0: So you talk about how you prefer stage to television. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you can go into a little bit about what it is that makes that difference for you.
2: I think that
1: when when I started in the business and uh, theatre, uh, how can I? How can I? I've, I've spoken about this so many times. I'm just trying to think of some easier way of putting it. Um, it in my mind, a lot of actors these days. It's television. They do a telly and they they they're, they're a star. But if you put them in a different uh, situation, i.e. You've got to learn two and a half hours of dialogue, with no mistakes. You can't say, "Oh, I'm so sorry." Cut. Can we go again? No, you, Bloody Bill, can't. You know, this is, to my mind, and a lot of actors' minds, it is where the actor's craft comes into being. You are alone on that stage um, with the other actors, of course. But um, you, if you, if you muck it up, you, you can't go back and do it again. You can't say to an audience, "Oh." So sorry, loves. Uh, we can we go again? I mucked that one up. I don't think so. Um, we just pay, you know, thirty-five quid to get and what see this blooming play. You can start again. Um, so yeah, it, that's where the craft comes in. Um, you are in charge of your your performance, and and um, and if if anything goes wrong, you have to get out of it. Uh, you do have the, the the benefit of a prompt man um in the prompt corner who's there on the book all the time um but he will only come in and give you a prompt at the very very last minute it feels like forever that you've gone wrong i mean once only it happened to me i know it was a nightmare i i thought it was like uh, four hours when it was nanoseconds apparently um you just think what am i going to say and and then you come in and that's it but there's a lovely story um, about two uh, doyens, theatrical ladies, two doyens of the West End theatre in the late thirties, and they were doing a two-hander, a play, two of them on stage together, and and they both of them dried, stone dead, totally forgot their lines, and after a few moments, the prompt corner whispered something, went psh, 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 psh. nothing happened, once again, psh, psh, psh. nothing happened, once again. Psh, 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 psh. After about the third time of trying, one of the old ladies walked over to the prompt corner and said, we know the line, dear, but which one of us says it? <laughs> that apparently is a true story.
0: <laughs> oh, my. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, yes, it, 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 is, it is a different. Uh, I mean, I, I hate first nights. I am so nervous. I can't tell you how um and you you're standing backstage waiting to go on waiting for your cue and uh you're thinking go so like, what, what am I doing here I could be in the pub I could be watching a movie at home I could be, and then you, your cue comes and you're on and it's gone you're on away
2: you go yeah
0: and th- but there is also that that energy of that audience that Don't I yet. think you know when you I've never been on a tv or film set i have done a little bit of community theater many moons mm. ago but i would think that that y- you would be missing that that energy because yeah. of the way that a that a tv or film set works
1: that's right but the the, the onus is on you to give a, a, a great performance and not just a great performance for the critics the critics on the first night but every performance because it's a brand new performance that these people are seeing you may be running for three years and um you have to give that upbeat performance every night for three years yeah, yeah, yeah. all the energy that the, the part demands and requires and that's got to be done um and another thing that people say to me youngsters, youngsters what what do you suggest and, do you prefer film to theater i say well it's it's with theater there is no margin for error. Um, you 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 need to listen. And I said, you you're on stage. You may know you're lined upside down, backwards, every every which way but loose, and you may be waiting for a line which says, uh, for argument's sake, would you like a cup of tea? And you say yes, please. Now one night the line might come, uh, fancy a cuppa. It's the same cue. You're, uh, you're not my line. No, that's not what I want to hear. No, I'm not answering that. No, no. But you should. You listening. The, gut, the, 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 the other actors paraphrase it, but it's the same meaning. I still say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll have a cup of tea, please. Do, do you know what I'm getting at?
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: the word is listen. Listen, 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 even if you've been running for 25 years at the West End, like the mousetrap, which has been running for 45 years in our West End. Um, yeah, well, that's it. That's my my. my Talk about about this. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah, problem. It's, of the big now, so the people. it's yes. a
0: real presence. You have to be fully present. Oh
1: yeah. 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 yeah.
0: yeah. Which is yeah. a challenge. But again, I think most of us are not fully present in our daily lives, so we don't appreciate mm-hmm. what happens when you're in that state because you know we're driving down the road thinking about going to the grocery store and what we need to buy and what we're making for dinner and all of that not really actually there Mm. Mm. which is also why i think listening is a lost art these days
2: yes i think so too yeah
0: yeah yeah i was listening to a podcast a couple of years ago i think (laughs) i think it was farnham street's podcast but i could be wrong about that and all I remember is that they were talking to a musician and she said musicians are some of the only people on the planet who are actively taught how to listen. And I think that right. goes for actors too. I think, I think yeah, yeah, you know, you you really you think you're listening a lot of yeah. the time, but most of us really aren't.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny old business, but it's uh, it's 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 been good to me and I've loved every minute of it. I wouldn't have dreamt of being anything else for some you know, I just it's been It's been an amazing um, career, and I feel very very lucky. I still still find it um, quite strange that someone offers me a lovely part, and um, and, and I think, well, I'd have done this for nothing. They're paying me to do this. (laughs) (laughs) But I didn't tell them I would do it for nothing. No. Wonderful chances, wonderful people you meet, and uh, some lovely, I've met some great people, lovely people that I've worked with and thoroughly enjoyed their company.
0: Well, and one of those people, in fact, this is what inspired my phone call to my friend last night, is Julian Fellows.
2: Oh, Julian, yes.
0: Because a couple of years ago, this this particular friend, my friend Lissa, called me up and said, You know, I have this set of Noel Coward DVDs, and I just realized that one of them is present laughter and in a very small part is a young Julian Fellows. Would you like to come watch? So we did, and it turned out she had been to see that show in London in 1981. And so last night when I got to that part of your book, I called her I said, you're never going to believe this. But this is who I'm talking to tomorrow, and I sent her a screenshot of the photo from the book. But you know, it that was quite quite a cast, and Julian oh, Fellows yeah. was certainly well before even dreaming of something like Downton Abbey.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: What was it like to work with him back then? And are you still in touch with him at all?
1: No, not really. I, I you don't keep in touch with everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, no. Uh, and uh, he didn't even put give me a part in downtown which is a pain in the backside. But there we go. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was lovely to work with. I enjoyed working with him. We had, we went out. We um, uh, we all um, went. to – He had some connection with the House of Lords or the House of Commons and in, in Westminster. So we all went for tea on the on the Members' Terrace along the um, Thames. Uh, that was quite nice. Arranged by. He was. He's very posh. He's extremely posh. Is um, Julian. Um, or Lord Fellows, as of course, as I should call him, really. Um, and, um, his, ma- his wife is a lady in waiting to the queen. So they are a, they're quite a, a well-to-do family, but uh, no, I don't keep in touch with him, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed his company. We had a great time together.
0: Well, I remember it being quite an amusing show, so I'm sure that it was it hard to have a, a great time together. No, it was good fun to do. And you mentioned that the queen Mum came for a visit at one point. Yes. What was she like?
1: she was absolutely lovely we, we we were told by the company manager um before the show went up uh, he said um oh when when the when the tabs come down uh, at the end of the performance, don't leave the stage and we were oh, yeah why he said oh, someone wants to meet you we thought hmm okay and there were various <laughs> people throughout but during the interval going, going up to the tabs and looking to see if they could see who it was but um and then someone said i think it's the queen mother she's in the in the front and it, it was, so she, she came back to met us and it was lovely. She's a very, very pleasant lady. I
0: I remember, you know, not a whole lot about her, but I always was fascinated by her. So I loved reading yeah. that you actually got a chance to meet her and that she would oh, absolutely, yeah. go to the trouble well, to say, I'd like to meet the cast after the show.
1: Yeah, that was brilliant. Yes. Yeah. My mother was totally impressed that I'd met the green mother. <laughs> really. uh, yeah, because my parents had nothing to do with show business whatsoever. Uh, although my father became a uh, worked for a, a television company um where he was in charge of scenery, so not exactly anything to do with being in front of at the, the stage but uh, in my, it says it says in my book at one particular point I was working with a television company that my father worked for, and he had to provide a coffin for me because I died in this particular play, which is a little quite strange a bit
0: surreal <laughs>
1: yes yeah on, yeah it, it was a, He's a nice chap like that. You know, he's a pretty much down to earth chap. You know, I need to get a coffin for my boy. Oh, lovely. <laughs> <doubly marvelous. laughs>
0: was your mother the type of person who called up all of her friends and told her?
1: Oh, oh, oh good gracious me, yes. We have um, uh, our, our, our weekly uh, TV guide. It's uh, a thing called Radio Times. I think many mm. of them, but the original one was called the Radio Times. And when I did Best Expectations, I made the front cover of the Radio Times. There's a picture in the book, I believe, that cover mm-hmm. it. And, of course, when my mother on the way to work, um, to the office where she was working, um, saw it on the newsstand and didn't realize. It. She said, oh, that's my boy. And she bought every copy that the newsstand. <laughs> and I think she bought every copy from any other newsagent in the area. We have hundreds of them. <laughs> don't know what done them but, uh, yeah, I've got one framed. I have one framed in my house, So to-
0: that seems fair. Yeah. yeah, why not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's great that, you know, you had parents who were so supportive from the very beginning well, too. Sure. Because yeah. so many people want to do something like acting and are consistently told, no, no, you, you know, mm-hmm. you'll never make any money. It's it's a waste yeah. of time. It's a waste of this. It's it's whatever. Yeah. And you know, in my experience from interviewing people for this podcast, it makes it so much harder. It doesn't make it impossible, but it makes mm. it so much harder for people to actually do the things that they want to do.
1: Yes, I, I uh, yeah. When I went to drama school, uh, I then I started getting work. Obviously, uh, had I not started getting work, then I might have been in a different situation. I might have said, "Well, I don't I want to do it." Then I'm not doing anything. Uh, there were lots of friends I made there that that. Some of them I still keep in touch with who have nothing to do with the business. They did, did nothing. They did their two years at Pontes or three years at Pontes and, um, but never progressed. And, uh, I'm lucky enough to have progressed, you know.
0: Yeah. And I think the fact that, you know, your parents were not feeding you lines, like this is a waste of time and effort and you should no, you absolutely, know, become a welder. Yeah. Where was <laughs> yes. a huge factor. It had to have been. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Always does. So, since you mentioned friends from Conti's, I would love to hear about your friendship with Graham Harper and how he went in a very different direction and became a director, but is known for being the kind of director who listens to actors. And, you know. Graham, who? Graham Harper?
1: Never heard of him. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Graham. Yeah. Lovely, lovely man. Um, We were Conti boys together, and um, oh yes, yeah. And um, it it, it, it was about twelve or uh, thirteen, and I played played the part of Noddy in in Noddy in Toyland, which was on every Christmas uh, for for about six weeks over the Christmas period, just doing matinees. And uh, Graham was in it. He was a Conti boy. He played a character called Moonface. And you uh, hate me for this. And um, he played Moonface. And uh, but he was a good actor. He he was a good actor, Graham. Um, he did a lot of work as a boy actor, and uh, and into his youth. And um, but then he decided, yeah, you know, one day said, "Now I think, you know, I, I just I really want to direct. I just feel as I want to direct. I don't really want to." So he decided to go behind the camera, and, but and I decided I was going to stay in front. Um, and that's how it started. We've been friends ever since. I've worked with him many many times. And a lot of people said, oh, yeah, it's only because you know Graham Hartman, you've got that part. But in um, in certain ways, it is an opening to get that part. But as Graham's always said to me, he said, Colin, I'll put you up. I would like you to play so-and-so and so-and-so in this. But he said, I cannot give it to you. You need to come in with all the other actors. And uh, in Cockney rhyming saying we call them maxes, max factors. <laughs> so with all, with all the other maxes. And, uh, and, um, and 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 read for it, and uh, which I did. Sometimes I got it, sometimes I didn't. But uh, yeah, worked with him a few times as a director. He's a good director. He knows actors. He knows what actors are feeling. He knows what it's like. Um, and and also he listens to actors because a lot of directors say, well, "I want you to move there, and then drink that cup of coffee, then walk over, and then put it down, and then go and sit down." So, but then. You know Graham will say that, and then I'll say to me Graham, just yeah, that's fine, Graham. Can we, can we just try it this way? If I don't stand up at the time you want me to, I can get over there a bit earlier for me to then to go over to there. Yeah, all right, right, Gov, try that. Try that. Yeah, try that, Guff. You do it. He said, yeah, that's it. Keep it in your way. He listens to actors. He, he and an actor knows if if, if if you get told to do something and it's wooden, you don't. It, it's not flowing. It's not. It doesn't feel comfortable. It doesn't go with the line or the or the action you know what i mean uh, uh and um he's great he, he listens and he he will he will if if you're not hearing will assist you say no 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 cole i see it this way and i because I, my camera's going to be here and then i and otherwise if i do it that way i've got put a, got to put another camera here which then mucks up my other shot especially if it's a live multi-camera which cameras going all over the place it's like the m1 at rush hour <laughs> and uh it's not, But now, of course, it's virtually done on one camera.
0: Well, and I did notice that when you, in the book, talked about the difference between Doctor Who in the 80s and mm. Doctor Who now. And I was mm. so surprised because it never would have occurred to me that it would be possible to do everything with one camera. If you, you know, I think of shots from different angles and things like that, and therefore you must have more than one camera. So
1: yeah very rarely no it's it's a one camera they shoot it like a film they do a master and then from the master they will then move the camera they'll do a, a two shot a, a, an mcu medium close-up or cu close-up uh, a different angle povs different povs they do it like a film not like it it it, it as graham said it, it you have to choreograph if you especially if going out live you caught if you've got five cameras whizzing around all over the sea with mic booms and, and it's a nightmare um you know, quite often you you know you, you do a camera rehearsal obviously and then you, you you're in the middle of a shot and then suddenly you see a camera come through a window you know it's too early you know so that that is why there's a camera rehearsal obviously um, but no it's a nightmare it's a nightmare okay, you get all your angles sure but um it takes time to choreograph these cameras where they're going to be who, they, which character they're going to be on a two-shot Mean it's, it's a Nightmare. I wouldn't want to do it. I'd just sit there in front of the camera and let them sort that out.
0: That's so fascinating to me. It's just completely disrupted my whole mental image of what, what happens.
1: Yeah, yeah. Most things now are one camera. The last multi-camera I did, I did a uh, a, a comedy series called, um, uh, with Catherine Tate. And, mm. um, and I played her, I played her neighbor, Bert, Bernie. And, um, and we did that in front of a live audience, um, which is quite often they do it. And that's multi-camera and live audience stuff. They don't want to stop it each time right? rearrange a camera. And once you rearrange a camera, you've got to rearrange the lighting. It, it, it. Yeah. all wow. very clever. It Nothing is. to do with me. Nothing to do with me. I've got, <laughs> got the easy part.
0: Does it change <laughs> your experience as an actor at all, going from multiple cameras to single ones?
1: No. It, it, you have to then be able to absorb the, the the interruption in your flow and bring back the energy again. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. You do it multiple times because once you do your close-up, then the next person in the shot does a close-up. So you're doing the lines for that person. Yeah, um, but you, know, you get used to it. Uh, you, you come back with the same performance every time. Yeah, that's, it's got to be. It's got to be.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so so since we've already mentioned the comparison between Who, Ancient and Modern, as you put it in the book. Yeah. Um, you are one of the few people who has been both on Ancient Who and Modern Who, and Graham <laughs> is the only director who has directed for both. Right. Yeah. And you you note in the book that the whole process is so different now than it was back then. And yeah. I'm wondering if you could tell everybody a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. Well, it, yeah, I was, I'm not so much now one of the few, I'm still amongst a band of a few actors that have uh, done this. There's, there's quite a few now that have been in the classic and the new, but um, at, the, at the time when I did it, there was probably about two or three of us, but there's more and more now. Um, yes. The, 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 the difference being is the rehearsals. Um, on a Monday morning, you turn up at what the what we is called the Acton Hilton, which is a, a rehearsal room um, in Acton in London, and uh, you would sit round a table, all have coffee, and then you would uh, introduce yourself. If uh, the, the, the director would introduce you to the other cast members, and uh, then you'd do a read through. And during the read through, the, the, the PA would do a rough timing of the running of the show, and then after the read through, um, we would then begin to block. The scenes, in other words, moves where we're we going to move, and so you've got you've got a script in your hand, so you say your lines and walk over. Oh, there's a dialect that you move around, and then you block for a, a day or day or so, and then uh, you start. Then on the following day, on the Tuesday, you then start um, uh, putting a bit more bones onto the character, and you begin to eventually lose your scripts. You should be off the book by about the end of Wednesday, and um, and then you you build on the character, and uh, And what is nice about having rehearsals is that you can bounce off the other actors that are in the scene with you. Um, And you only get to learn to bounce off the other actor if if you're with him a long time and working on the same scene. And you can get that scene better and better and better and better, you know. Um, But then we went up to Cardiff when I did the next one about 28 28 years later or something. just taken onto the set and uh, we do a camera word run. Uh, let's do a camera rehearsal. Let's shoot it from the way. Wow. <laughs> hoping, hoping that you come up with a character that the director likes. But uh, yeah, it's, it's not as cutly as that, but it, it is literally no rehearsals. You don't spend a week rehearsing the whole thing. Uh, and that's how that works. Uh, yeah.
0: That must but, feel very strange.
1: But then again, it's, it's the way of the business now. Uh, it's been like that for quite a while now. So it, it's gradually come in. So we you get used to it. You get used to it.
0: Yeah. Well, And and you were in the episodes that brought the Cybermen back. Yeah. Certainly an iconic villain
2: in wow, Doctor Who, yeah.
0: you know, mm. rivaled only by the Daleks. Yeah. I talked to John Davy a couple of weeks ago about what it's oh, like John. to be in the cybermen and dalek costumes and i'm just curious you know are i'm not going to lie i the cybermen scare me way more than the daleks do because there's a person in there and you can tell there's a person in there especially in the older series where they looked less metal and you know you can yeah. really tell that there was a person in there i think that added to the yeah. the horror of them but what what's it like to be on stage with the cybermen
1: I remember uh, when we were in Cardiff. I came out of my my trailer um, to, to to do a scene, and two of them were standing outside. <laughs> and I got out. I just sort of looked at them. So I went, "All right, lads." <laughs> <laughs> they were big boys, yeah. Uh, uh, and I think I remember rightly. John uh, actually killed me.
0: Oh, really?
1: I think it was John <laughs> that picked me up and threw me across the room. Well, it wasn't me, John. It was the it was the men on the on the machine. I was on wires. Mm-hmm. Yanked me, but it was John who did the deed. I've never spoken to him since. <laughs> yeah, I've, I saw him a couple of weeks back in the um, uh, well uh, in the um, where was I? Uh, Los Angeles, yeah, about mm-hmm. three weeks, four weeks in Los Angeles. Yeah, he's all over the place. Always see him.
0: Yeah, he was in LA when I talked to him. It was right That's after right, yeah. Gallifrey won, so that yeah, must have my been, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. now there. I, I know I've seen you know behind the scenes footage, and you know they're just Cybermen acting like normal people, which is so strange yep. to see too. But I also remember the first time I encountered a Dalek at a convention, and it looked me up yeah. and down, and I was sitting there thinking, "I know you're not an actual Dalek, but that is still mighty freaky."
1: <laughs> yes, yes. If you, we, we, we used to see them at the um, rehearsal rooms where we did rehearse. Um, they would just they t- take the top off, so it's just a. the the bottom half of a Dalek, Mm -hmm. which is on wheels, and the bloke sitting in it without the top on was very strange. (laughs) He's going around with his hair going, exterminate. (laughs) Just just him.
0: (laughs) Well, there's an old picture of William Hartnell sitting there like that, you know, in the, I think it's from the Space Museum, and he's looking incredibly impish as he's there, you know, underneath the the Dalek top, grinning like a little (laughs) kid. So... It it must be more fun than it seems to me that it would be, but then I tend to be kind of claustrophobic, so I don't think I'd want to be sitting inside Dalek oh, right. for very long.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so and you're also good friends with Fraser Hines. Oh Fraser, Going yeah. way back from before you did oh. Who at all.
1: Oh well, yeah, way back. Yeah. Yeah. We were boy actors together. And uh he, uh, When I was doing uh, Great Expectations, he came in, just played a very minor part in um, a little lad with a traps boy or something. And he'd be in the shop with. And then uh, and he came in when I was doing Heidi, I think it was Heidi. He came in to do the, the organ grinder <laughs> in that. But I've known him for years. Um, we were great mates from a, a very early age. And we used to knock about together um, with a group of. Like-minded lads, all uh, all sort of quite no well-known faces in the day. You know, we were um, we we had quite a good time because of that. On, on that, <laughs> just because you're sort of quite well-known at the time, it's quite great fun.
0: And he's the one who got you into going to Doctor Who conventions in the first well, place. <clears throat> excuse
1: me. Um, yeah, I didn't really know anything about them, and I think I bumped into. I don't know where I was probably in a pub or BBC club or something. And he said to me, oh, "Yeah, you 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 were in Doctor Who, weren't you?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Well, I don't see you on the Doctor Who convention circuit." I said, "What what convention circuit?" <laughs> oh, I said, "Blimey." He said, "We go to America." He said, "We, we do the cruise ship a bit." I said, "You're kidding." <laughs> anyway, I, uh, then a few weeks later, I got a phone call um, from a, a Glasgow uh, the Doctor Who Glasgow Doctor Who Appreciation Society, and um, they asked me if I would be a guest at their convention and I said I am exceedingly flattered and I absolutely would love to be a guest at your convention I said but if I came um you know, would any of your you know your your guest your people know who I was and this guy said to me I can assure you Mr Spall they will know exactly who you are <laughs> so I said all right then I'll go so and I did
0: yeah we us doctor who fans tend to be a little a little too knowledgeable sometimes. <laughs> it,
1: and it's quite, you get asked some very strange questions. And what, I remember, it wasn't very long ago. It was about, I don't know, about five or six years ago. Was, somebody said to me, oh, Mr. Spohr, um, your character, Mr. Crane. I said, yeah. He said, did, did they name that after where you live? I said, I'm sorry. He said, did they name your character after where you live? I said, why? He said, well, your address is Crane Avenue. And I said, I did not even realize I lived in Crane Avenue. And this guy pointed it out.
0: It's a little bit terrifying that he knew that.
1: <laughs> well, it was, it was, I don't know, well, it was something that my address was there for some reason. I can't remember where it was, but um, uh, but yeah, I, I
2: didn't actually, I had no idea that that uh,
1: I, the road I lived in was Crane Avenue. There we go. <laughs> bit of useless information.
0: <laughs> I was going to ask you if there were, you know, what really surprised you when you finally went, and I hope that wasn't the biggest surprise.
1: <laughs> I was just surprised how knowledgeable people were. And um, it was, I, I remember, because it was my first one, I remember it distinctly. I walked into the hall to do my little panel and uh, thing, and as I walked between the all seats one side and seats others so and walked down to the little of raised stage, little stage thing and as I walked down I could hear people say oh look it's Colin's ball it's Colin ball he's coming, it's Colin and I thought oh <laughs> fine. Uh, yeah fantastic <laughs> they did know exactly who I was which was brilliant they're great, I love them, the fans as I always say uh, I do so much, I've done so many conventions and uh, at the end you usually come along and do a little chat afterwards or a couple of lines everyone's introduced and as i always say and i will continue to say they thank me for coming and i say i should be thanking you or we should be thanking you because if it was not for you we would not be here and that was i always say that to the fans
0: yeah i mean it's it's such a it's a a sort of a a singular event
2: yeah
0: you know i mean i have not been to i don't know if there are Star Wars conventions. I did go to a Star Trek event once I think all, yeah. many moons yeah. ago. But I now I, I shouldn't say this because I shouldn't speak for other fandoms that I haven't gone to, but I have to think that you know, Doctor Who fandom is is its own unique
2: group Yeah, people, indeed.
0: You know, and I think possibly because it's been around for so long or because there was the hiatus when we didn't have it at all. And then, Hey, look, it's back. You know, I I think maybe there's a a level of appreciation and enthusiasm that either is, I don't want to say is absent because I know, you know, Star Trek fans are just as enthusiastic as, as we are, but I think it probably comes from a different place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are still do loads of uh, 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 Star Wars uh, conventions. a mate of mine, um, no, no longer with us, unfortunately. And uh, Jeremy Bullock, who, who was also in uh, Doctor Who at some point, um, he played Boba Fett in that, and uh, he was around the world mm-hmm. as well as Doctor and and that he had the two things going for him. Yeah, it's amazing fandom. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. It is. It can It can be a force both for good and for evil.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah someone who occasionally yeah. sticks a pinky toe into online fandom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are moments when you do have to be reminded that it is just a TV show. Absolutely. And, you know, yes. okay, okay. Do we really want to, you know, lunge at each other this much over one 30-second bit of a scene that, you know, probably isn't worth what's happening here. But for the most part, especially in person, I think online is a very different thing, but I think in person, you know, most, most doctor who fans are just excited to go get to. Be pure geeks for a weekend and be around their people. I mean, I know that's how I feel when I walk in. It's like, ha, I can be a total nerd this weekend and none of these people will think it's strange.
1: Why not? Absolutely, why not? I've, I, yeah, I applaud it. Brilliant.
0: Yeah. So (laughs) there, there is another show that I wanted to be sure to ask you about because it's so unusual and that is The Murder Game. Oh my God.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You? yeah.
0: Because it. Well, you know what? I'm going to let you describe it because I think you'll do a better job than I will. But it definitely is not like a normal TV show in most respects.
1: Have you seen it?
0: I haven't. And you, but you. I read about you, it. I mean? Yes, you do. Which is part of why I'm fascinated by it.
1: Yes. Um. Right. Uh, yes, I I was asked to read, uh, to go along for this interview for this thing called The Murder Game. And um, I was actually doing a television series at the time called Down to Earth. And I went for the part in the murder series. And then my agent said, oh, that, that, you've got it. I said, well, I can't do it. Um, I'm doing The Murder Game. She said, oh, yeah, okay, right. Anyway, when I got the scripts for the murder game, they were not as I thought or I've been told they were. Um, and so I did about three episodes, six episodes. And I did about three. And I, I phoned my agent. And I said, This is not working yet. It's not I'm not playing the characters I was told I was going to be. And um I said, I'm not by any chance, they don't still want me to do the murder game. She said, Well, it's still open. For so I said, Well, can you get me out? Can you get through the BBC and get me out of this? <laughs> Which she did. <laughs> and um, so I, I went to do it. Wow! It was um, it was challenging. It, it I loved it. I I I thought it was one of the best things I've ever done as an actor.
2: There was no script. It was
1: a story, and it what it was. It was a, a they, they, the BBC had advertised for a group of people for this. Joined the, the the murder game, and they were trained. They went to a police uh, academy somewhere for a, a couple of weeks, and they were taught the rudiments of detective detecting, and um, and then they were all put in a coach, and we came back through a village in Kent, and uh, the, the bus stopped with all these people that had been on this thing. They said, "Right, everybody out!" Um, this is it now starts, and they found out that a girl
2: was murdered in a church on the eve of her wedding
1: we meanwhile for about 6 weeks we had been meeting and we were each given a character and i was the I was the, the girl's dad um, but we had to learn about ourselves we had to learn uh, my 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 suspected my pop, uh, mother's maiden name and my when did my aunt die uh, my national insurance number as the, as the character um, where was I born um, where, what street did I live on and what's your daughter where did she go to school the girl that was married and uh, um, who, who, what's the name for her friends and and this was just ad lib ad lib ad lib and then we arrived on the set and these people we were I was gardening when I started uh, doing something and doing something on an allotment and this the, one of the people approached me and then started asking questions which I had to answer based on what I knew about the characters that we'd been working on. It was unbelievable. It was pure ad lib, pure ad lib. But yeah, fly by the stringy of your seat of your pants. <laughs> and so, then you move on. Yeah.
0: When when you're talking about, you know, we were working on these characters, does that mean that you were all coming up with your characters together? Or yeah. okay.
1: It, uh, yeah, the cast, not not the mm-hmm. people that were not the people that were the, doing the detecting. They right. had no idea they they just they were sent to go and see uh, um, whatever the character was say fred go and see fred who's in the allotment and see what he knows he's we know that he's the the, the dad of the girl that's just been killed just go and question him so i know i had no idea i what sure you're going to ask various things that you knew but it it was just ad lib and then someone else would come in and ask something oh, it was amazing it was amazing it wasn't terribly successful I believe it was um, an American idea. Um, so I understand. Um, and apparently, it didn't go down to well in America either. Um, <laughs> but as far as an actor, talk about knowing your craft and having to work like that. Uh, uh, stunning, stunning. Loved it.
0: Loved it. It reminds me so much of improv, except that it's yeah. not the kind of improv where you can just say the most. Ridiculous thing that just comes into your head, which must have made it much more challenging.
1: Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> improvisation, but uh, but real. Uh, uh, it's got to be uh, uh, real in time and, uh, and in association with uh, with the, the, what's being asked and and the, the situation that they're in as the detectives. It was good. They were one with twenty grand or something silly. I think it was. I don't know. It was good fun. I wow. loved it. Love <laughs> Yeah. Good.
0: I'll have to go hunt it up because it just sounds like such a fascinating idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was. Yeah. you yeah, frightening. I do not know I could do it now. Well, <laughs> it, was, it was good fun. At least you didn't have any lines to learn. True. <laughs> True. You come up with something.
0: Yeah. If I find it, I'll put links to it in the show notes for everybody. <laughs> so, so I do want to talk to you about the process of writing this book. Had you ever really sat down to write anything? before?
1: No. Um and to be I'm uh, I, I haven't. Um I I narrated it to to a friend of mine. Uh, to he really was a, a ghostwriter I suppose but he he just wrote I did i I'd if I'd have done it, I'm I'm a one finger typer, not two finger, one. And i i type a letter maybe on this keyboard, I'd go, uh, right, I want to put down um every E V uh, I've seen, I've, I've seen an R, I've seen an R, somewhere on this keyboard. Uh, where, where, where did it, where's that R? Oh, there it is. I'd still be writing
2: it now. Yeah. So.
0: So how did it go? Was it more challenging it than you expected? Or was it more yeah, like just really, sitting down and talking I, to a friend?
1: I sitting down and talking to a friend and I'm just narrating, um, various things that have happened in my life. Um, and, uh, we managed to cobble a, a book together. So, uh, and I've had so many people read it and said, oh, God, you could, there's another one coming out. I said, well, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I don't know what else to write. I said, if it came out, it wouldn't be a book. I think it would probably be a pamphlet. <laughs> it would be, it would be about, about two pages long.
0: How many autobiographies can you write? <laughs> so I have to it.
1: yes, yes. Yeah, it was, it was good. And it was quite um, a, a few people said they, they enjoyed it and got the nice things about the theatre, tradition the traditions of the theatre, which I I, I love um and uh yeah yeah lots of funny things happened in the theaters which would be great fun to do
0: it's a fun read and i really appreciated mm. that you did go into things like why you do not say macbeth in a theater and yeah. you know how some behind the scenes kinds of things worked because yeah. some of those things i had a little bit of understanding about and others were completely new so yeah. that just added a, a whole extra dimension
1: it's right yes yeah, so and the, the fact that there's always a in the theater, it's never dark. It's uh, There's always a ghost light on, and um, which gives the, the the resident ghosts to do what they want to do on the stage when you're not there.
0: And, you know, I had not heard of that before, and it made me wonder, because apparently I really do have a one-track Doctor Who mind, if that's where the Sylvester McCoy episode Ghost Light either got its name or got some ah. of its inspiration.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: But I have no idea what the answer to that might be. So. No, me neither. Maybe somebody uh, who's listening will know and will tell me.
1: Yeah, yeah, a bit of luck.
0: But, but yeah, well, I'm glad that it was a, a fun experience. I hope you'll think about writing something different, maybe. Well,
1: <laughs> yes, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I'm getting on now. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm I'm nearer the departure gate than I am the arrivals, and um, so uh, I don't know what <laughs> <laughs> the future holds. But uh, I know I've got a lot of gardening to do here in this house. <laughs> job i'm not working at the moment i'm going to pack and then to get ready to go off To so anyway there we go
0: well it all sounds like a great ongoing adventure
1: yes it does doesn't it, it I mean, does. i've been very lucky in my career i've met some great people and uh, yeah yeah some lovely people one of the nicest people i think i think also in the book it was david niven and i said to be yes. people, young, young people about david niven they say who mm-hmm. well fair enough you know um that, uh, lovely man Lovely, lovely man. Very lucky to have worked with him and spent you know, a bit about two and a half months with him. So.
0: Well, and it sounds like he certainly appreciated all of the rest yeah. of the cast as well. Yeah, it's yeah. Great, oh, great story in the book about everyone yeah. chipping in for a gift for him.
1: Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, we yes, yes, military honors and everything. Yes, yeah, yeah. Ex- excellent It was Just such good fun. Such good fun. they so disappointed we went. We went to. Um, we were filming in the mountains of Austria and. Uh, we weren't allowed to um, ski or do anything because, of course, it would null and void the insurance for the company, so we couldn't do any. Not that I could ski anyway, but um, <coughs> I tried it once, but, uh, and that was it. That was it. Yeah. In Scotland, and oh, not the place to ski. It was freezing cold. <laughs> I didn't have the right gear. Another city <laughs> episode of my life. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, I hope that the adventuring will continue, and certainly it sounds like you're about to to have one on the Doctor Who cruise. So I hope that that all goes beautifully and you know issue free, since everyone <laughs> okay. is in such close quarters on a cruise. Yeah, uh, but I I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. It's been a lot of fun.
1: It's my pleasure, Nancy, and I do hope that, uh, that your listeners will enjoy um, my wittering on about. There is things.
0: Oh, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. That's it for this week. My deep thanks to Colin Spall for joining me and to you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Thanks so much. You know, I talk to people all the time who are feeling totally lost, overwhelmed, and stuck creatively. And I know there are lots more of you out there who are feeling the same way. So I made something to help. Check out the link in your podcast app for my creative tune-up kit. It's 37 bucks, super affordable, and it's full of my favorite coaching tools to help you rediscover your creative self and make progress fast. I would love to get it into your hands so that you can get unstuck and create beautiful things this year. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade.